0: Welcome to Rise and Thrive Conversations for Greatness. We bring you captivating conversations with extraordinary individuals who have conquered challenges, achieved greatness, and are making a positive impact in the world. This is your go-to source for inspiration and motivation. I'm your host, John Merkis. Rise and Thrivers, please welcome an inspiring guest to the show. She's passionate about cultivating greatness in individuals and teams, perfect for this show. An elite triathlete with top 10 finishes in Rimini in Italy. She loved the challenge and satisfactoring of mastering the three disciplines involved with being a triathlete, triathlete, that is. That's uh, swimming, cycling and running. I imagine there's a bit of mindset work in there as well. And then towards the end of her sporting career, started coaching and discovered that helping others to be their best was when she was actually at her best. An amazing rich corporate background with 12 years at Deloitte, finishing there as the Director of Human Capital Consulting, has a profound understanding of organisational dynamics. Her academic achievements include a Bachelor of Commerce and a field of study in human resources, organisational development and philosophy. She's now the co-founder of a marvellous organisation called Structured Creative, She leads a team there that uses structured problem-solving, design thinking, and neuroscience to transform businesses and individuals. She's the creator of the Body Brain Reset, showcasing her commitment to pioneering new paths in business. Join us as we explore insights on leadership, teamwork, and greatness, of course. Welcome, Katie (laughs) O'Keefe.
1: Thank you, John. That's quite the intro. I'm impressed. (laughs) There's some good research in there with knowing my rimini finishes. Wow!
0: I did look up all your results, and I thought they were outstanding. But I wanted to, uh, I wanted to touch on that one even just reading that then it makes me think oh I really want to dive into all of that with you so we're going to have a great chat and then we'll see where it leads us if we don't get to everything I'd love to have you uh, back on the show we can do a part one and part two but let's dive into it I could have also said the mother of three children so you've just packed a lot into your life I would love to start asking you with by by saying oh I'll get the question out there eventually um (laughs) (laughs) How do you define greatness and what does it mean to you personally?
1: It's such a good question and it's so funny, John. You know, one of the reasons I reached out to you and was really attracted to this podcast that you're doing is because the way I introduce myself to people now when I'm in a situation where it's like, you know, in the networking situation is I say, hi, I'm Katie and I help people be great. And people look at me and they go, oh, okay, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. And I help people be great in three, three different ways or in three different contexts. And I help people as individuals be great. How do we show up as our best selves every day? How do we be present with the people that we love? How do we be motivated and enthusiastic and curious? How do we make good decisions? How do we solve problems? How do we stay calm under pressure? You know, all of those things that help us individually be at our best. And, and I say to people like, you know, you know how it feels. When you feel great, you know what that feels like, you know when you're talking to someone or you're in a meeting or you're on a stage or you're performing in some way and you just can feel your brain working well, you feel that you're clear, you feel that you're present, there's no fog, there's no distractions. And you know what that feels like, and we also know how hard it is to tap into that consistently and regularly yeah. um, every day, you know, and it's for some people it's so elusive. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember what that feels like. I felt like that in 1974, you know. <laughs> so and with all of the distractions going on in the world, all of the things that the external pressures that, that filter in and make us feel depressed or sad or lonely or worried or scared or anxious and you know news feeds off that news feeds off bad news so how can we control the things that we can control and stay present in the moment and still feel and be great so there's an individual piece there and then I also work and help people in the context of teams be great and you know it's really interesting that we can do all the things that we need to do for ourselves to be the best that we can be And for most of us, we work and for most of us, we work in the context of teams, which adds a whole new dynamic to being great. How do we actually be part of a team that's great? How do I contribute to that? And how does the team help me? So how do we do that in a dynamic way? So teams are complex. And then finally, we've got people in the context of organizations as a system. And I think we've all been in situations where individually we're doing all that we can for ourselves. We work in a team which is a great team and the system within which we work as an organisation is pretty rubbish and really drags us down. And so how do we understand, particularly as leaders of organisations, how do we create the context and the environmental conditions that enable people to thrive and be their best?
0: Thank you. There's so much to unpack there. You touched on so many parts of being human and you know, we all sometimes feel great, sometimes we don't know why, sometimes we do know why. We might have um, had some exercise and got some fresh air and go, I feel really great now, so I know why, because I actually made the time to do that. Sometimes you think, oh, I'd like to feel great, but I don't know how, or I'm not going to, or I'm not motivated to, and that's exactly why we'd like to have people like you on the show, so people mm-hmm. listening can get some information or understanding, or let's just feel great by listening at the very least but also get some uh, tips on how to be their best and how to be great. So yeah. it's absolutely perfect. So in that context, have you got some things you can share with us? So people that are feeling like they would like to be greater than what they are or, or uplift lift, lift themselves, what would your advice be to them?
1: So, and that's a great question, John, and it, it, It helps me then to kind of lead into, well, what is the neuroscience of this and how how does my background and my history, how has that informed where I've got to today around this? And so to kind of wind back a bit before I go into what are the tips and, you know, hearing my story presented like that in the way you introduced me was really interesting, but I describe myself as a late starter in life Mm -hmm. because... I didn't get into triathlon until I was in my early 20s. And I got into triathlon because I had been overseas in my university degree. I'd done a year at the University of Miami. Um, And as you would would expect, when you go away, you live a good life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How long were you in Miami for?
1: So I was in Miami for a year. I did two semesters on exchange, which was... Like, I mean, we are so lucky in Australia to have affordable tertiary education. And through that exchange program, I got to go to a private university in the US that would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to. And I got to take a place at that university while still paying my fees here in Melbourne. And it's an exchange because someone from Miami then comes and takes a place at Melbourne.
0: Gotcha. Was it the University of Florida?
1: University of Miami.
0: Oh, right. Okay. The Hurricanes.
1: Right. C-O-N-E-S, Keynes.
0: <laughs> did you go to the, their sporting events there?
1: I certainly did. Um, is it's it crazy,
0: a, like you see?
1: It is a massive football school, the University of Miami. The Hurricanes yep. are a big, big team and a very successful team, you, you know, and it really is like you see on the movies. The football team on campus was, yep, you know, yep. very pre- present. And the, the games are amazing. The crowd's amazing. You've got the marching band. You've got the cheerleaders. You've got the students in the crowd. And we all got to, you know, we get to use our student cards to just go into the games. Uh, so that was incredible. Was
0: that a big eye-opener? It's coming from a, a university in Melbourne to then a big university over in the States and it being a bit like in the movies and just really, I was going to say hardcore, but you know what I mean? I, I love Americans because I love how they get excited and,
1: and really get involved. I, I think it's a good question, John. I hadn't really thought about it, but I think it met my expectations. Right. I think because you see it on the movies and you get a sense of how big and crazy and full on it is and how the the sport of the university is part of the university's identity. And so, you, so I think it really met my expectations in that regard. I mm-hmm. think what kind of surprised me with American football is how long it takes to play for 15 minute quarters (laughs) and so like half a game was really enough for me I was like this is enough but what did really surprise me is how much I got into ice hockey and and any Canadians listening will hate me saying ice hockey because I know it's just hockey but I absolutely loved it as a sport and actually now In Melbourne, uh, we go to the hockey at the Melbourne Ice House Arena uh, regularly during the winter season when it's on here. And now the women's is about to start. We'll be going to the women's. My little boys are learning to ice skate. So, yeah. So that's become part of our lives.
0: Wonderful. Now... Was there any triathlons going on there that inspired you or did that come a bit later?
1: So that came later. So what happened with the the University of Miami thing? So I went over there. I had a year over there. The first six months I was it was a great lifestyle living because I lived on campus. So in Australia, I lived at home and home was like an hour from uni. I didn't drive. So I was relying on public transport. So I didn't really have that university life experience in Australia. And so when I went to Miami, I lived on campus and the campuses over there are like a full experience. So we had an incredible, what they called a wellness center and you know for context this is the early 90s wellness as as a sort of industry wasn't even something that we talked about here in Australia we would have called it a gym but Mm. in Miami Mm. it was a wellness center Um, there was like just loads of access to everything on campus so I really got into the campus lifestyle I got into going to the gym I started playing water polo got onto the water polo team was regularly going swimming you know really got into that health and fitness lifestyle and then in the second semester I got glandular fever which in America they call mono. um so I, I I got glandular fever which then really put, like meant i wound right back on all the sport and exercise and on top of that i was still living a partying lifestyle i was still order, ordering cheese pizza at 2am and eating <laughs> cheese pizza in my room and so i actually ended up coming home really overweight and really quite unhappy in myself physically and then and people i speak to who travel and travel extensively it's such a common experience you come home And you come back and you get back in touch with all your old friends and you start hanging out with all your old friends. But there's this real kind of discombobulation or this disconnect between I've been away and I've had this really transformative experience and I feel like a different person. And I'm coming back into this group of friends who I feel like hasn't moved. They're having Mm -hmm. the same arguments. They're doing the same things. And I really felt socially, so I felt unhappy in myself physically and socially, I just felt at sea you know it wasn't that I felt unhappy with my friends I just something was off so as a result I was drinking a lot I was going out a lot I was partying a lot and I tell this story about the moment for me that was the catalyst for change was outside the marquee nightclub in South Melbourne at about 3 a.m on a Saturday morning vomiting into a rubbish bin (sighs)
0: I think I know that exact rubbish bin. I had a dodgy (laughs) hot dog out the front there at some ungodly hour in the morning back in the day, yeah.
1: So, you know, classy, really classy, right? So I'm like 22 and I'm vomiting and it's such a – it's seared into my memory visually, this experience Mm. of kind of looking Mm. into this rubbish bin going, this is not me and I am not happy right now. And I remember I went home and I – you know, woke up on Sunday morning and I was talking to my mum and and I was like, I want to do a triathlon. And she said to me, I'm sick of you talking about wanting to do triathlons. Let's just pick one and we'll go and do one together.
0: How good that that your mum was really firm on saying, let's take some action on this. Yes. Yeah, I love yeah. it.
1: And actually, you know, in fairness, if she hadn't have, I don't know if I would have done it, it might have been something I just kept talking about. So we picked this triathlon. It was late November, early December down at Barwon Heads in the open ocean. We got there. The surf was enormous and the surf was so big, they couldn't actually mark out a rectangular course. They had to do an out and back because when they put the boys out for a rectangular course, they kept washing in in the waves. The ride was on these rough, bumpy roads, and lo and behold, the run was 5Ks on soft sand. So we couldn't really have picked anything much more hardcore to do as our first triathlon, but we both loved it and we both got absolutely hooked on it. And so, you know, so I was 22, overweight, unfit, was almost last in the field in my first event but so hooked on it and i was like right this is the lifestyle shift that i need i'm going to get back Mm. into swimming because i swam as a kid uh, and you know and then i got a bike and started doing running and found then over the course of a number of years Really competing as an age group athlete, I just got better and better and got more and more serious about it. And then eventually, kind of in my mid-20s, after three or four years of competing as an age grouper, I was like, I actually want to give this a proper go. I want to try and be an elite athlete. I want to go professional. So I did. I cut my work back to three days a week and shifted into full-time triathlon which then gave me the opportunity to go to France. And I spent a summer racing in France with a club over there. And then, so, you know, this is now kind of in my 30s, like late 20s, early 30s, Mm. had a period of time where I was really injured and trying to rehab that injury and realised, really, I'm too old and too slow and too injured to make a living out of this. It's time to grow up and get a real job. Which then led me to, well, what am I going to do? So this kind of is still the late start a bit, because by now I'm thirty and thinking, What am I going to do? And that that took me to Deloitte and starting at a career at Deloitte at a time when most career consultants have been a career have been in the firm for seven or eight years or more yeah. by that point. Yeah. So I was starting a career in my early thirties not yet having had any children with peers who were well and truly advanced in their career. And then not long after I joined Deloitte, got pregnant with my first child. And so then I was still kind of in a fledgling management consulting career and trying to be part-time with a child. So then fast forward a few years down the track to my um, 40, uh, separated from my husband, got a new partner. We had two more kids very quickly in quick succession. And so, you know, so I'm still I'm still starting in life. I'm, I'm in my early, I'm still in my early 40s and I've got two more kids and we've got a house, you know, we bought our first house together, you know, in my early 40s. But all of those things, add up to now being in my late 40s, really feeling like I've got this richness of experience, a, a, a life experience coupled with then formal learning and education yeah. that brings this package together. So as an athlete, yeah. I got really interested in how the neuroscience of the brain affects how we perform physically, so how we think affects how well we can perform in an event situation, and then as I joined Deloitte and got into the human capital team there and started doing more leadership development, I really started to appreciate how we use our bodies affects how well we think. And
0: oh, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Can I ask you, yep. just because it's not a term that I was familiar with, and there might be a few listeners out there the same, human capital Management.
1: Oh, yes. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, it's effectively the branch of consulting which is focused on people.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, right. Thanks for clarifying (laughs) that.
1: (laughs) But it's a terrible term because when you think about it, human capital, you know, capital is a financial term.
0: Yeah, yeah, And yeah. human
1: capital basically kind of reduces humans down to a financial unit of yeah. contribution in an organisation. So it's not a term I like very much.
0: I was going to ask you, when you first started there, you said, oh, you know, you might have been starting a little bit from behind because other people were there. But I put it to you, though, that other people hadn't been travelling the world. The amount of discipline involved to be a triathlete, and especially when you say, I want to, you know, follow my dreams and and go for this professionally. That is a massive amount of work, thinking, mindset, discipline, all the things that you would think an organization would value.
1: Mm. Totally. And it really and this is where now the Body Brain Reset Program really enables me to bring all of that and package it up in a way that I can help people through the mm. knowledge of the science. And the living of the practices really be their best every day.
0: Great. And so the body brain reset. So you've created that understanding that your physiology and your body helps with your mind and mm-hmm. what you're thinking, mm-hmm. what you're doing and it might even be a little bit the other way as well but I know it's a two-way street Mm -hmm. but I know that I only know that through well my experience and you kind of intuitively intuitively know it but I know Anthony Robbins is big on that using your physiology Mm -hmm. to put you in a state to be um, to be great so Mm -hmm. whether that's breathing moving Mm -hmm. saying yeah it's showtime going for it you know (laughs) whatever that it is but I'm really interested in so that was the journey to to kind of create that program Mm -hmm. so please now are you able to tell us more about the details of it?
1: Yeah, totally. So this comes to your awesome. question around what are the tips for people? So
0: yeah.
1: we understand that physical athletes, we understand with physical athletes that they not only need to look after how they use their bodies and how they train physically but they need to pay attention to then how they think and so this is you know the whole sport psychology and the whole industry that's built up around really helping athletes get the most out of their performance by controlling their mind and controlling what they think. A lovely really simple tip which comes from Ash Barty's mind performance coach is instead of saying you've got to do something you get to do something. Right. Right.
0: That's an interesting lens on an activity, isn't it?
1: Isn't that lovely? So instead of saying, I've got to take the kids to school today, I get to take the kids to school today. Instead of saying, I've got to go to the gym today, I get to go to the gym today.
0: That is amazing. I'm getting goosebumps, Katie. Thank you, because it plugs into that gratitude. And sometimes I even say to myself, if you feel like you're getting a bit negative or whatnot, it's like, well, ha- hang on a minute, mate. You can actually stand up and walk over there, and and you get to do that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You, you know, and then you start to, you know, do all the all the things around gratitude and think what you're grateful for.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But it implies the gratitude when you say, "I get to do that," mm. as in how not lucky, but how grateful, how wonderful that I'm able to do that. that. I'm
1: able to do that. And isn't it just like, and it's so simple. It's changing one letter.
0: I thought that as well. Just one letter and you're there.
1: One letter and you're there. Got to get. So that's a really beautiful one. So we understand this idea that, you know, how we use our minds affects, you know, how we feel and affects how we perform physically. And that's for physical athletes. What The way I talk about this then to people in business and people in particularly white collar kind of roles is we are cognitive athletes. So as cognitive athletes, our performance, our success is driven by how well we think, how clearly we communicate, how effectively we can make decisions, how creatively we can solve problems, and how well we stay calm under pressure. So all of those cognitive outcomes sit in the prefrontal cortex part of the brain, this front part of the brain behind your forehead, which is where all your higher order processing, all your cognitive thinking is done what we don't appreciate is for cognitive athletes the way in which we use our body are the primary drivers of performance and so the ways in which we use our body so and we this is what we talk about a brain body system and for that mm. brain body system to be optimized it's driven by the foundational practices are how we move how we eat how we sleep and how we breathe gotcha So when I talk about this with people, the things that I encourage people to do and the things that the science says we need to do are the things that we already know we need to do, the things that we already know are good for us. I know exercise is good for me. I know I should eat well. I know I should drink more water. I know I should get better sleep, Um, you know. Breath work maybe isn't something that we're quite so tuned into, but like I kind of had heard that I should be mindful and I should meditate and blah, blah, blah. So all these should, 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 shoulds. And I love um, Tony Robbins says, um, I should all over myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of his, I just love that. I should all over myself.
0: I love that too. And so you're talking about, so we know that. We
1: know that. And
0: there's always this bridge between the knowing and the doing. Are you giving us the bridge? They're
1: giving the bridge. So one of the bridges is the why. So people kind of know they need to do these things, but what they don't necessarily appreciate in the why is how important it is for your cognitive function. And leaders that I work with, particularly senior leaders in organisations, they really value how well their brains work. So they spend time on trying to improve their brain function through things like mind puzzles, you know, brain games, crosswords, challenging things that they know will enhance their cognitive function. But what they don't actually appreciate is if they're not eating well, moving well, sleeping well, or breathing well, all of that time spent on brain puzzles actually won't make any difference because the brain works from basic to complex in that order. The basic part of the brain, which is the brain stem, is the part of the brain that's nourished by movement, nutrition, sleep, and the breath. And if that part of the brain isn't well nourished, then the energy that you have available is going to be directed into the body to deal with all of the stuff that's not going well in the body. And that energy isn't available to the brain. It isn't available to the prefrontal cortex. So there's actually a filter in the brain stem called the RAS. And you can think of that RAS as like a gatekeeper Mm -hmm. and it filters. So all the information that comes into the brain must first pass through this filter. If the brain is in a state of uh, alert or threat or stress, information coming into the brain will be processed in a way that responds to the threat, which means it directs energy away from the brain into the body to put us in a fight flight state. Yep. If we're in a relaxed state, then the information that comes in will move forward up to the brain and be processed in a more cognitive way. And so what people don't appreciate is being highly sedentary and not moving is incredibly stressful on the body. And so right. if we are not moving, the body is actually sending the brain signals of distress that then directs energy to dealing with that. If we're not eating well but bo- yep. the body can't process shitty food and that yep. that crappy food puts the body in a state of stress and distress and so the brain then directs energy to processing that food and dealing with the toxicity if we're not sl- if we're not sleeping well you know we don't have the energy available the body's under stress and if we're not breathing well again mm. you know a high breath that's shallow in the chest that sort of Breathing is the way we breathe when we feel stressed and anxious, when we're trying to run away from something, when we're feeling emotional and sad, and that kind of breathing sends the brain signals of distress, and so the brain directs mm. energy mm. to dealing with that.
0: So all those, I could almost see like that's a, they're yeah, pieces of a pie for the whole there, because when you get all those things right, all things are firing. I definitely have heard and I know about in the nutritional factor where. You know, people say, "Why are my hair, skin, and nails? You know, not looking very healthy, and they're not eating very well." Is because your body and brain is smart enough to go, "Well, I'm going to give all the major nutrients I can get to your vital organs, and I'm not worried about your hair or your skin mm-hmm. and, or your nails because I'm trying to keep your heart and your mm-hmm. and and the major things going." So I have heard that before, so I was kind of getting a little bit of um, of what you were saying there about the nutritional side of things, and so. That makes sense to get all of those things right. And does the program offer you ways to get that right? Mm -hmm. Um, Is it a thing over time? Yeah. How can we get those things right?
1: So exactly. So the, you know, the knowing doing gap coming back to that part of what's closing the knowing doing gap is having a better understanding of the why. So, so, That's right, right? Yes. so one of the things I do in the program is I do little short bursts, 10 to 15 minutes at a time of the theory of the science that presents mm-hmm. the why. So we do that. We then do um, two times a week, we do a guided movement session. And I use a particular movement method called GMB, which is animal-based movement, bears, monkeys, froggers, and crabs that move. Exactly, right? So it's fun. So it's fun. Yeah. It's playful. It's a bit silly. And it's deceptively really, really challenging. It moves our body in a, through its full range of motion in the way that we're designed to move. So one of the things that's yep. really interesting about this movement is when you start learning it and then you watch kids move, it's how kids move. Mm-hmm. And they do it without thinking about it. So it brings us back, and there's a whole me- there's a whole kind of industry now around primal movement. So it's very much this primal kind of animal-based mm. movement.
0: Yeah, right. First, I've heard of it, but I I love it. See, one of the barriers I think for people to moving and getting exercise is time. But then when you think about it, you know, you've got to make the yes. time. But also having to go somewhere to do the exercise, yes. especially you know, we've all had gym memberships and keep paying and don't go. Uh, and and there's been times where we've Personally, I've been to the gym and, I, and I've loved it. And then because that particular time of life allowed that for me to go there three or four times a week and I'm loving it and then circumstances change and I can't get there and then I've stopped doing the exercise. So you haven't told me this, but I, w- I would suspect that those movements you can do easily where, where you're at.
1: And, we, and I do the program entirely online. So you don't have to go anywhere in the mornings when we do the sessions. We run the sessions from yep. 6.30 to 745 and in that session, we do 40 to 50 minutes of movement. We do 10 to 15 minutes of breath work. And then we do 10 to 15 minutes of theory two times a week. And it's at home in the comfort of your own home. We have kids join in. We have dogs join in. <laughs> and But you don't have to go anywhere. So, it makes, so the barrier to getting there and doing it is easy. And it also means I can work with people from all over the world, uh, all over Australia and all over the world. So, so part of Closing the Knowing Doing Gap is the theory, part of Closing the Knowing Doing Gap is the movement practice, and then the other part of Closing the Knowing Doing Gap is each week in the program for the first four weeks, we have a specific focus on either nutrition, And so in the week of nutrition, you know, and this is where it's tailored to individual needs and goals is you pick what you want to work on with your nutrition that week and you make a commitment to work on it. And then we check in Mm -hmm. at the start of the next week on how you went against the things you wanted to do. And then the next week we focus on sleep. And then the next week we focus on breath in and and so on. So for the first four weeks, we have an intentional weekly focus where mm-hmm. you know I get you to do things and you set things for yourself to do. We check in. And then in the second four weeks, and this is the other part of the closing, closing the knowing doing gap, is the science around habit formation. Yeah. It's the magic window is about eight weeks it takes about eight weeks to establish a habit so
0: it's interesting you say that because i i i don't know how long it takes but i keep hearing this 21 days thing and i
1: think i don't know you
0: think you need longer than that yeah
1: 21 days is a minimum so at a minimum it's 21 days um in some cases it can be up to three months so there's other research that puts habit formation at three months in my experience of running the program The first four weeks for people, it's very guided. They're very much dependent on my accountability. And then the second four weeks, we shift the focus a little bit. And I say to people, what I've given you is a whole bunch of things for you to experiment with, for you to try out you know, try it on for size, see what you think, does it work? Does it make a difference? And then the second four weeks is you pick for you, what you feels made the biggest difference and maintain the practice. And right. so by the time we get to the eighth week, the question for people is how ready do you feel to go on your own from here? And for the most part, people feel very ready.
0: And if they still, as I would imagine you've made such a big impact on their life. It's, it's, uh, it's like when you have that kind of relationship with someone, you want to stay in contact. Is that, a, is that something that's offered so they can get a bit of Katie loving yeah. when they need it? <laughs>
1: Absolutely. So there's a couple of things there. On a Wednesday morning, I do a, a publicly available session and it's just a week I run it on a term. So people who finish the course, who want to continue doing some physical training with me, c- come on a Wednesday morning. And then mm-hmm. we monitor people's, well, we track progress in the program using an objective measure called heart rate variability. And heart rate variability is the space between your heartbeats. So if you think of, you know, let's say you've got a a heart rate of 60 beats per minute. In reality, the heart isn't beating one beat every second. There's a little bit of variability by milliseconds between each of those heartbeats.
0: Yeah, I'd imagine because there's a lot of factors about with your breathing, your movement, the whole thing, yeah.
1: So, and more than that, actually when we're in a really relaxed state the body lets go of control and allows things to move at their own pace and so in biological systems variability is good so the human is a biological system so when we're measuring our heart rate variability a higher heart rate variability is indicative of being in a healthier more relaxed state So over the course of the program, every morning people track their heart rate variability or HRV, and over the course of the program we track how that's changing, looking for a steadily increasing heart rate variability over time over the course of the eight weeks. So at the end of the eight weeks what I make available to people is to continue tracking their heart rate variability, and I'll continue to monitor that in the dashboard system that I have access to. And what I'm able to do then, and it's really interesting, is I go in probably every month and I have a look at how it's tracking for people. And I send people a little note, like I'll send them a text message and say, oh, wow, your HIV is looking great. I hope you're feeling great. Or I'll send them a note and say, gee, your heart rate variability has been really decreasing over the last few weeks. Is everything okay? Do you want to have a quick check? you've got
0: access to that data. You've got access to that. If they
1: give me permission to and if if they they want to continue with it. But what's so interesting is I can see people's lives in their data and invariably without fail when i message someone and i say your hrv's tracking down is everything okay do you want to have a catch-up they'll message me back and they will say oh my god you won't believe what's going on for me at the moment yes please can we have a catch-up so i can see it even though i don't know what's going on for them and then i'll show them we'll sit down and i'll show them what i'm seeing in the data And they'll talk me through it. I've got a guy I'm coaching at the moment who's a cricket captain. And we were looking at his data yesterday. And he has this weekly trend. The cricket game's on a Saturday. He's this weekly trend of increasing uh, heart rate variability Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday, then it drops a little bit because he starts thinking about the cricket game. Saturday, it drops a little bit more because that's the day of the game. And then Sunday is his lowest of the week because he's exhausted from the game and he's recovering. And then he starts the next week again, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. (laughs) Decrease, decrease, decrease. So one of the things we're working with him on is how can he better manage the pressure and stress associated with each cricket game so that his system isn't so impacted every week in this way?
0: Wonderful. And based on data, and I would imagine in some cases maybe that particular person realises that that's happening to me, maybe they don't because you're, you're seeing the data to know that this is happening and so that could be unconscious for someone to go, I don't know, I just kind of feel a bit stressed before the game and I'm a bit exhausted after the mm-hmm. game. And I love that you're basing it on data and you're doing a lot of research in this area as well.
1: Mm-hmm. So, And so on that, one of the really interesting impacts from the program for people is this... Getting back in touch with our bodies and getting back in touch with this, how we feel physically and in tune with that. And so one of the things that people repeatedly say through the program, the impact of monitoring their HIV every day has been this better awareness of subjectively how I'm feeling with objectively what state is my system in, And how do I use that new understanding to better set myself up in the day? So let's say, for example, I wake up and I'm feeling exhausted. I've got a lot going on. You know, it's the end of the year. There's end of year performance reviews for people. There's budgets to meet. There's Christmas parties. And I see this decrease in my heart rate variability. But I'm also a bit of an A-type personality and I want to run marathons and I want to do triathlons and I want to go to the gym and I want to smash myself what people say to me is, you've given me permission to rest. You've given me permission to be kind to myself and be gentle to myself. You know, you've, you've helped me better understand that the way I live has real consequences on my system and in understanding that I can better manage my energy so that I'm more consistent. So we get back to this, how do I show up consistently as my best self with my best energy every day? So getting in touch yeah. with what's going on in my system and how that reflects in how I'm thinking and feeling is a big part of that.
0: Well, and just the power in the question as well. How do I do the things I need to do to show up as my best self every mm-hmm. day? That's a question we we could all be asking ourselves yeah. and and doing something about. Well, it.
1: And it is, John, you know, it's move. Get outside in the fresh air and just move your body. It doesn't have to be hard exercise. It doesn't have to be strenuous exercise, but just move your body. And then once you're moving your body, move your body in as many different ways as you can. You know, challenge your body and mind in different ways. So move your body. Eat good food. Eat healthy, unprocessed food. Um, Drink water. Get good sleep. And be aware of your breath. And so, when I say be aware of your breath, the first thing—and I love this question—and listeners Mm -hmm. can do this now with us: How do you know you're breathing?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not dead, but where do you feel it?
1: Where can you? How do you know you're breathing? And so, there's this—you know—go through this kind of checklist of: Do I feel the breath? coming into my nostrils and there's a whole science around nasal breathing as well so let's just tune into the notes do I feel the breath in my nostrils can I feel the breath going you know through my sinus passages can I feel the breath going down the back of my throat can I feel the breath going down my windpipe can I feel the breath entering my chest cavity can I feel the breath entering and expanding my lower two ribs Can I feel the breath going right down and making my diaphragm drop down towards my pelvis? Can I actually feel the breath in my back and feel it expanding my back in three dimensions? And then can I feel it coming back out again? Can I even imagine feeling my breath going into my big toe? Can I imagine feeling my breath going all the way into my little finger? Can I feel the breath going all the way up through the back of my head? as it comes back out the nose. And so this, where do you feel your breath? How do you know you're breathing? And even that exercise on its own will immediately make you feel more calm.
0: Yeah, it does. Even just um, for those that aren't watching and just listening, Katie was doing that exercise with her eyes closed as explaining it. And I was doing it with you and, and thinking about the things that you were saying. And immediately after I felt a bit, I could see, I feel a yeah. shift. Yeah, just, just by doing that. It did occur to me as well, though, breathing is subconscious and probably for a good reason because we've got a lot of other things to do that our brain can't say, okay, take that breath in now, now take that breath out. I get why it's normally something that we don't focus on, but I also like what you're saying is there are times where you do want to focus mm-hmm. on it and be, and do it consciously.
1: Mm-hmm. So because the breath is the gateway to life... And the breath is the gateway to mastering your stress response. Because of the unconscious nature of the breath, we unconsciously change our breath based on how we're feeling. So when we feel stressed and anxious, the sympathetic nervous system kicks in to put us into a fight or flight state, to put us into a state to respond to whatever it is we need to respond to. Part of that response, and if you think about this in a physical level, if we've got to run away from something, if we actually have to flee or we have to fight, we will shift our breathing through to the mouth so we can, in the short term, get more oxygen in and become more activated to become stronger and faster. But... We breathe if we breathe like that when we don't need to, which is actually how most people breathe. So, most people breathe through their mouth in a shallow way that is sending the brain a signal that I need to respond to something threatening or fearful. And so, it makes you feel stressed, and that's happening unconsciously. So, if we can consciously shift our breathing to a breath that we would unconsciously do when we're relaxed, which is a nasal breath that comes low into the diaphragm, expands the rib cage, expands the, you know, drops the diaphragm down and expands the belly and expands the ribs. That then sends the brain a signal of being relaxed and calm. So the breath becomes your first, like, hack, if you like, into... How do we feel better? So, you know, right back to your question before of what are the things people can do? The first thing to do is to become aware of your breath and then consciously yep. slow your breathing down, make your breath lighter. I love this idea of if someone else was looking at you, they wouldn't be able to tell your breathing. So make your breath really light, make it invisible, make it come down into the rib cage. you know, feel those bottom two ribs expand feel the diaphragm drop down, slow down your exhale through the nose, really make the exhale long and slow. And at any time in the day when you think to, notice your breath, how do I know I'm breathing, how am I breathing, and then consciously change the breath.
0: What a great tip that we can do any time. In fact, I was doing deeper breathing (laughs) while you were saying all that. just has that, that impact on me straight away. Very easy access to change the way you feel and think by using your mm-hmm. body. And
1: it's free. Consciously
0: telling your brain, hey, yeah, well, that's free as well, which mm-hmm. is great. And constantly, and, and consciously telling your brain, hey, it's okay. I want to be in this state now. So I'm going to give you the signals mm-hmm. so you can help me get into mm-hmm. this state.
1: Exactly. Love it. Exactly. Love it. And now that I'm in this state, I have all this wonderful energy available to me. To creatively solve problems and to make better decisions and to respond more thoughtfully in a situation, to be more present in the situation that I'm present in, to be more engaged, Mm. to be more enthused. Like all of these things happen just Mm. by slowing our breathing down.
0: So much to get from something so Mm -hmm. simple. And I love how simple it is. Sometimes we say it's not necessarily easy, some of these things, but they are simple. This one seems to be simple and easy.
1: So simple. Yeah.
0: I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the food aspects as well, because you mentioned that and how important nutrition mm-hmm. is. I think a lot of people know how they should eat, and a lot of people don't eat that way. So there's another but the difference between the, the knowing and the doing. I personally have been taking a fruit and vegetable supplement, the most researched food supplement in the mm-hmm. world and that has helped me bridge the gap between what I know that I should eat and what I do eat. It doesn't mean that I can't up my game. It's just a, a bit of an insurance policy, let's say. So I know it's one thing that I struggle with as a, having a young family and being the food purchaser and preparation person <laughs> in the house. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm all up for anything you got for me, Katie, and... Uh, and You know, I know you don't have a magic wand, but in the area of nutrition, how would you guide myself and the listeners in terms of making a difference or something, some things that that
1: That we we can do? do?
0: Supplementation is great. What are some of the things that you might uh, recommend or coach people in your program?
1: So, you know, the funny thing, John, is it's all the things we already know. So it's more fresh fruit and vegetables vegetables (laughs) in their whole state for the fiber that you get from that the body doesn't actually digest fiber for energy. So fiber is really important because it helps you poo. poo. It goes through (laughs) the system and comes out, but because it's bulky, it makes us feel full, but we don't actually get, we don't get calories from that for energy from the fiber itself. So biologically, from an evolutionary perspective, we're wired to want to consume about two kilograms of food a day because under a traditional diet, about two kilograms of food is what we would have need for our energy requirements in terms of the calorie density of that food or the energy density of that food. Modern Mm. food, we only need to consume about 800 grams of food to get our energy requirements because the food is so much more energy dense but we're still wired to want to consume about two kilos of food. So you can see there immediately, if we're consuming two kilograms of modern food, we're getting way more energy than we need. So we store that energy as fat. So if we go back to more hunter gather, like more gatherer type foods, high fibrous, leafy vegetables, fruit in their whole state, it's, that weightiness of food that's not overly energy dense and so we we feel Mm. more sated like we feel like we're getting enough so it's you know fruits and vegetables in their natural state good lean proteins. if you eat meat you don't have to eat meat it certainly is easier to get your protein requirements through meat but if you eat legumes and tofu and uh, you know other types of high protein vegetables and non-animal sources then that's fine but if you're eating meats good lean meat in again in its whole state lots of water avoiding processed foods really interestingly eating less after dark the body. What's really interesting is for the same food eaten in the day versus in the evening, in the day you will have less of an insulin response to exactly the same food than you will in the evening. When you have a higher insulin response to food, insulin kind of acts as a barrier between the energy that's in the food and your cells absorbing that energy. And so if your cells don't absorb that energy and use the energy, then you store the extra energy as fat. So that traditional Mediterranean diet of eating more in the day, breakfast or lunch is the biggest meal, and a very, very light, if dinner at all, there does There yeah. is some research that really supports that now. And from yeah. a why perspective, there's so much more understanding now of the gut-brain axis and the health of the gut microbiome. And so if you're eating good, healthy foods and you've got a good, healthy, happy gut, what we realise now is that a lot of our neuromodulators like dopamine and oxytocin and serotonin are produced in the gut, not the brain, and they're produced in the gut in response to good, healthy, happy food. So you've got this gut-brain axis where you're getting bottom-up messages from the gut to the brain around, oh, this is good, we're happy, we're healthy, this feels fantastic. And then you've also got top-down messages that when we're stressed and anxious, that upsets the gut microbiome as well. And I was listening to a podcast recently, a Huberman Lab podcast, with a researcher out of Stanford who specialises in the gut microbiome and one of the things he said, and I really love this, is the extent and the number of microbiota we have in the gut. So it's billions and billions and billions of live mm. microorganisms in the gut. There are so many and there's such a vast variety of microbiota in there that there are some people who are now characterizing the purpose of a human is to host a healthy gut microbiome (laughs)
0: that switches it around doesn't it totally
1: so our whole purpose and i love this because you know we kind of go what's my purpose in life why am i here what it's like (laughs) you're already doing doing it it. just look after your gut and you're living your purpose and i I love that i think that's so cool yeah
0: i think it's cool too i think it's cool wow so makes sense fresh fruit and veggies lean meats not heaps of anything, stay off the sugars as much as you can, try not to eat too much after dark, if anything. And isn't that interesting? Because as humans, that can be a really satisfying way to go. Mm. Or You you think it's satisfying as you're you're putting food in your face after dark, (laughs) but your body's not really liking it. Yeah, and we don't (laughs) Um, sleep well. You know, I did
1: this the other night. I was, you know, up with my partner. It was a weekend evening. It was like 10 o'clock at night. We're watching movies and we're like... Yeah, let's have some, you know, M&Ms or whatever. Oh, my God, I slept so badly. It was awful. You yeah. know, we, we just don't like it.
0: And the other thing about the nutrition I think is, um, and this is something that I struggle with because I'm a basic uh, chef, let's say. <laughs> former, McDo- uh, former KFC chef. I was McDonald's. Story, I worked uh, at Macca's very Yeah, good. So, it's the recipes, it's putting it all together that's quick and easy and 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 getting it and getting it sorted. So, that's something that I need to work on so I can I can get that done for myself and the family. Yeah,
1: you know, one of the things that we've started doing with our kids because my three kids, my two little ones are 7 and 8, and my older one's 15. And with the two little ones, what we started doing is they come into the kitchen when it's dinner prep time and they chop up their own veggies. For their own salad, and what's really lovely about that is, a, they're learning knife skills. B, they're actually quite helpful in the kitchen, and what's and they love helping. So it's giving them this sense of purpose because they're being really helpful. They're eating the veggies as they go. So like starting a meal with veggies immediately starts Mm. to make you feel fuller because you're putting that fiber in, and it puts your body into a good state to then digest the rest of the food. So they're eating their veggies as they Mm. start. And, mm. and it kind of takes the pressure off. Our weekday dinners are not that fancy. We don't, ha- you, you know, like it's really simple. They will have some grilled meat and some salad and some pasta or some rice. And we just don't, we just don't worry too much about trying to get them to eat really exotic, high variety of different foods. As long as they're eating healthy, fresh foods and they're helping us prepare it, it just makes it so much easier. And then, you know, for Danny and I, we'll put in a bit more effort to our own meals on the weekend and to the family meals on the weekend. But on a weekday, it's like, just keep it simple.
0: Yeah, I like it. Great tips and tricks there. And I wanted to talk to you about sleep as well because that was another factor. And I know myself that I don't operate as effectively as I'd like to when I haven't been sleeping well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I know, sometimes I'll, I'll know, and, and then other times I'll go, I'm really tired. And so I can be in bed at mm-hmm. 9 o'clock some nights because I, I, I need this. And my mum used to say the hours before midnight you can count as double. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if that's true or not, but it seemed to be because the earlier I go to bed, the better I feel the yeah. next day
1: and look it is interesting and I did it's funny you say that because I did do a bit of reading up on that just a couple of weeks ago in response to a very similar conversation with someone like oh yeah my mum always told me or my grandma always told me the nights the hours before midnight count for double they don't they're still they're still, <laughs> I'm sorry, they're still, mum. Out, they're still hours of sleep and it depends on your natural chronology so for some people, and again, this is where we've got early birds and night owls, people mm. who are early birds, yes, getting to bed early is going to be more important. People who are night owls, that early to bed is not quite so critical because your natural chronology might be to stay up later and wake up later. And being a night owl myself, my, my whole life I've fought this natural chronology. I, if I'm still up at 11 o'clock at night, I can be really productive and work really well and through till 2am, but then I need to sleep until 10 or 11. The reality of the working world, being in the working world, is it's, it's just not, you can't do it. Or, you know, I, mm-hmm. my the nature of my work is I can't, I have to be up in the morning. So in that regard, it is really important for me to get to bed at 9.30 or before 10 because I'm up again before six because of the work I'm doing. But there isn't... Hours before midnight are not worth more than two. What is important is the overall duration and quality of your sleep. So in terms of getting better quality sleep, everything affects everything. So in the army, for people who aren't sleeping well in the army, the first thing they get them to do is to take 10,000 steps a day. If you are exercising more, if you are moving more, if Mm -hmm. your body is physically more tired, you will sleep better. If you are managing your stress well, you will have less sympathetic activation, you'll have more parasympathetic activation and you'll stay asleep. So for lots of people, what happens, and I hear this all the time is, you know, I'm actually really good at falling asleep. I go to bed and my head hits the pillow and I'm I'm asleep. Where I really struggle is staying asleep. I'll wake up at 3 a.m. and my mind is going and I can't get back to sleep. So I'm only getting probably four or five good quality hours of sleep. And then once I'm awake, I can't get back to sleep that is a classic sign of the emotional part of the brain just on alert all the time and not having the right strategies to get you back out of that stress response into a rest and digest state so again this comes back to everything affects everything if we're moving well and we're physically tired, we're more likely than to stay asleep. If we're managing our stress through things like good mental practices, breath work practices, ironically enough, cold water, cold therapy will really make a difference there. The sorts of things that really help you to manage your stress will help you to stay asleep having a good routine around sleep. So not eating or drinking too close to bed, getting off your phone close to bed. You know, the number of people I coach who are like, oh yeah, I have a TV in my room and I sit on my phone and I scroll on my phone or I'll have my laptop on my lap in bed. And it's just like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Get all that shit out of your bedroom. The bedroom is a place for sleep. Make it a place of sanctity. Because if you associate bed with doing stuff, When you wake up at 3 a.m., your brain's in this state of, oh, what are we going to do now? Because bed is a place of doing stuff.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. That's also been the advice that my daughter's pediatrician got when she was having trouble sleeping and talked about, you know, devices, screens, Mm -hmm. how often, when. And her advice, which we do now, is that uh, an hour before bed, there's just absolutely no no screen. screen. And and
1: actually, one of the really lovely things that lots of people who do my program do, because one of the requirements of the program is to do 10 minutes of breath work a day or 15 minutes of breath work a day. One of the things that lots of people do is they start doing their breath work with their kids as their kids go to bed at night. And so, you know, they'll, they'll put the breath pacer on and it's a timed breath pacer of four seconds inhale, six seconds exhale. And there's plenty of these on YouTube. So you can, if you Google either coherence breathing or resonance frequency breathing, you'll find 10, mm. five or 10 minute guided timers that you can just play. So you don't have to have any special equipment for it and do it with your kids as your kids fall asleep. And your kids sleep better, Mm, mm. which means you sleep better because you're less likely to be interrupted by them waking up. And because your kids go to bed earlier. So the really nice thing about this, often our kids go to bed earlier than we do. So we do this lovely kind of 10 minute breath work practice as the kids are going to bed. All of a sudden, I feel more calm at the end of my day. And I'm less Mm. likely then to want to go and sit on my phone and scroll or have alcohol or have sweet food because we're in a more relaxed yep. state. So we're not being driven to these destructive behaviours that are also destructive because yep. I've calmed myself down at eight o'clock at night as my kids are going to bed. So we do it with our kids yep. now. So we do 10 minutes of breath work with the kids as they're falling asleep. And lots of people who do my program do the same thing. And it, it's just lovely.
0: What's occurring to me is that it's easy to get caught up in life and just get bumped around and just follow your nose where you're going and you don't just have a great extraordinary life just by existing you've really got to do some things to create that and all the things you've spoken about are simple they make sense i love everything you've said about the program can anyone do the program how can we get access to it I'm sure you sparked a lot of interest <laughs> with, with what you've said, something yeah. we all need. And, of course, I'll have show notes to be able to contact you and the Structured Creative website and, and things like that. Is the program the for The program anyone? is
1: absolutely for anyone. It's available to everyone. I do four intakes a year that go with right. the school terms. So I do one starting in February. I do another one starting in April. I do another one starting in late July, early August. And then I do another one at the end of the year, which is the one I'm just wrapping up for people now. I offer when I do the program, so it's it's usually $3,000 per person. And I offer people a 20% discount to bring a friend because I really think there's a lot to be gained from that collective shared experience when you've got someone in your life that you either work with or live with and you do it together so I offer people a 20% discount for bring a friend what I'd like to offer to listeners on this program is that if you let me know you've heard about the program through this podcast that 20% discount is available to you whether or not you bring a friend so that's available Fantastic. you can um, send me an inquiry directly through the website we'll cl- include a link there but i'll also include my email address at me mail address in the show notes katie at au. but you can reach out to me there and if you jump onto the website and have a look you'll see a lot more information about the tools that we use and the way the program runs for your pleasure
0: <laughs> Excellent, <laughs> Katie. our uh, I like to ask our guests a couple of things at the end, and we are getting towards the end. Although it feels like it's just been five minutes, and we could go. No, we afternoon. haven't
1: even talked about teams yet. Like, there's, I know, I know.
0: Maybe we'll have to we'll have to come back again, yeah. and we'll talk, and we'll be specific yeah. on teams. Yeah. I, I like how it's been individual for, for yeah. the first part, and then we'll, then we'll definitely talk about teams. What's a question you wish that I'd asked you that I hadn't?
1: <laughs> Good question. So maybe actually it brings me to this idea of the context and the environment and to kind of round out this idea of individual performance. And there's a really interesting and I guess the question would be and what role does the environment play for people in enabling them to be successful? And there's this beautiful series on Netflix Mm -hmm. called Live to 100 And it's a series that presents the research from a project called the Blue Zones. And the Blue Zones are places in the world where there's a disproportionate percentage of the population that live to 100. And they call it a Blue Zone. And what this particular American guy has done is gone around and studied these Blue Zones, looked at how people live in these Blue Zones, why do they live such high quality lives to 100. Now, Unsurprisingly, in the context of the, my program, is it is how they move, it's how they eat, it's their social connections in life and, you know, kind of breathwork, meditative practices, senses of spirituality, that sort of thing. So, you know, lifestyle factors are what determine living to 100. But What they then wanted to do was go into the US and deliberately create Blue Zones. So they wanted to go into communities and try to recreate Blue Zones where people are living these really high quality lives late into life. The way that they did that was to bring the community together to change the environment. So rather than making it an individual intervention of how do we get people to move differently, eat differently, think differently, breathe differently, what they went into the communities is they said, how do we need to change the town so that people move better, eat better, and are more socially connected so they did things mm. like completely change town layouts by creating more footpaths creating more open spaces changing what supermarkets stocked in their shelves getting vending machines out of school areas and public areas creating situations in which communities would come together and celebrate things together So this this piece for individuals, and I work with people in the program on this as well, is that, you know, we are working on you individually and your individual practices and what do you need to change in your environment to make this sustainable?
0: We're almost finishing where we started because the context is decisive, so the context of your environment helps propel you to do the things that you need to do to live a live a great life. And so
1: this becomes things like in my household... How do we get the crappy food out of the house? How do we as a household move more together? How do we as a household get off our devices and hold each other to account to that? How do we make collective commitments? In my work environment, how do we change the way we engage together in the work environment? How do we normalise getting outside and moving? How do we, you know, how do we hold each other to account in the work environment? So, really thinking individually, and I think this is what I would like to leave people with is not only thinking about what are the behaviors and practices I need to put into place for myself, but what are the things I need to change in my environment so it makes it easy for me to do that.
0: Love it. Love it. Katie O'Keefe, absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank God for you in the world and helping people be great. You show, you've shown great discipline in your life, great mindset, great commitment to others. You've had an amazing journey. You've gone from triathlete to gone to an unhealthy lifestyle uh, to, you know, thank God you were spewing up in, <laughs> that, that, bin. Uh, in that rubber <laughs> spin. Well, it's a bit of a breakdown for yeah, a breakthrough, totally, right? Totally. So, yeah. Uh, and then from there, propelled you into into um, understanding and knowing a lot about what we've talked about. Then you've had your corporate experience. Now, you've put all that together and run an amazing program for individuals and organizations. I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Katie a. Keith. thank you very much.
1: And thank you for having me, John. It's been such fun.
0: Another incredible episode of Rise and Thrive Conversations for Greatness. I hope this conversation has ignited a fire within you, inspiring you to take bold steps towards your own path of greatness. And guess what? the journey doesn't end here there's so much more to explore learn and achieve so if you're hungry for more insights more inspiration and more strategies to fuel your personal and professional greatness get ready because the next episode is just around the corner every tuesday to be precise where we'll continue to unravel the secrets to unlocking your extraordinary potential don't miss out on the chance to keep rising and thriving with us Hit the subscribe button and you'll be the first to know when a new episode drops. And remember, greatness is not a destination. It's a continuous journey, so let's embark on it together. Thank you so much for being part of the Rise and Thrive community. It means so much to me that you're listening. And my wish for you is that you get so much out of doing so. Keep reaching for the stars, keep pushing your boundaries, and keep embracing the challenges that come your way, because that's how we truly grow. Stay tuned, stay motivated, and get ready to rise and thrive. If you're finding value from our conversations, don't forget to share this podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues. Together, we can create a ripple effect of positivity, optimism, and positive change. Keep shining brightly. Your greatness knows no bounds. And remember, be great and stay awesome.